Design Tangents is presented by Genesis, which offers the pinnacle of quality and luxurious comfort. Genesis cars embody both elegance and power with audacious design and groundbreaking technology. From first glance through ownership, your experience will be nothing less than exceptional. Learn more at genesis.com. My name is Maddie Benedetto, and I am the evil genius behind Unnecessary Inventions. I uh, basically build and design fake consumer products each week to an audience of about 13 million across all of my social media channels. Welcome to Design Tangents, a podcast that goes behind the scenes with creative change makers to learn about their work, inspiration, challenges, and philosophies. I'm Evan Ornston. And I'm Josh Rubin. We're the founders of Cool Hunting. Today, we're really excited to be up in Burlington, Vermont. It's a beautiful, sunny Tuesday, and we are here with Maddie in his new studio, which is ginormous, um, has incredible light and really great energy. Maddie is a serial creator who's been making and selling stuff since he was a kid, and now is a Webby Award winner for the content he creates about the stuff he invents and makes, and most of it he doesn't even sell these days. Maddie's conceived and designed and built hundreds of inventions. One of the things he likes to say is that just because it's not necessary doesn't mean it's not useful, right? Or that just right? because it's unnecessary doesn't mean it's useless. You've created a punch bowl for Captain Morgan for the Super Bowl. You're on a first name basis with Hoda and Jenna on the Today Show. Jimmy Kimmel has you on speed dial. You've done a lot in the last four plus years. And at the same time, it just feels like the natural evolution of the path you've been on since you were a kid. So in the, in the early days, you were, you were making beanies for your ski friends. Crocheting. My mom taught me when I was 13 years old. And so I would just hang out with my ski friends and crocheted the hats that they wanted. And we'd wear them around the ski mountain. And then you started making even more and selling them. So it was, I was 13 years old when I first learned how to crochet them. Uh, so that winter up in the Adirondacks in New York, crocheting them for my friends. By the next year, I made a website. I want to say it was made out of like Flash. So this is 2004 for like context of mm -hmm. like where we were in the internet. I uh, made a website. People could submit what they wanted their hat to look like and I would crochet it. And then by the following year when I was 15, I was like crocheting my hands off after school and decided to outsource all the production overseas to China, uh, going from like one-off individual hats to then designing like a set collection for that winter. And then over the years, that sort of uh, expanded to gloves and mittens and apparel. In the summer, I would sell sunglasses to try and make it like a full year-round business. Um, but yeah, it was pretty... And you took this with you to college. So I had the business going and... When I came up, moved from the New York City area up to Vermont to go to college, I messaged them, um, told them about my business. And my first day of college moving into my freshman dorm, I was also moving into my office I had on campus all four years. So I think I paid like $96 a month. I paid like electricity and heat in Vermont. Um, and yeah, they had let me keep it for all four years. How did that commingle with your academic life? I probably could have tried a lot harder in school than I did. <laughs> it, it, it was it was kind of difficult because so I went to school for business and marketing, and a lot of the stuff that we were learning in these intro classes, like I already had an ad campaign 
running in Free Skier magazine and digital ads running on NewSchoolers.com. And so it was like I was kind of already doing the stuff that I maybe didn't need to try as hard because I was actually living it in the moment while we were sort of like playing catch up, learning it in class. Um, so that probably helped. Don't you feel you were born with that? I mean, you you were born with this kind of showmanship with this sense of understanding a need that people have or maybe discovering one that they didn't know that they have and being able to speak to that. Like sometimes you don't need school to tell you what you already like are just born with. Like you yeah. have that in you, right? And I think at that point, I mean, you know, when you're 18, you're just sort of going with the flow. It's like go to high school, go to college. And I mean, I I loved coming up here from New York and being able to ski three, four times a week. And it probably helped being in school and not having a ton of responsibility that I could just kind of do whatever and build out the things I wanted to build. Our paths first crossed in 2012. You had evolved the the apparel and accessory business to, um, let's see, you, you renamed the brand. You started calling it Eastern Collective and then you started wrapping iPhone cables in cloth. Yep. And the first time we saw those, we were like, oh my God, that is super clever and it looks great and it solves all sorts of problems. What was the kind of the impetus to jump from making apparel and accessories to making phone accessories? Yeah, I think, I mean, what I do now is unnecessary inventions, I think is the culmination of how my brain actually works in that I'm constantly like, I'm just jumping from one idea to the next at all times. So back then, I didn't necessarily have like the outlet to do it. But I think it was just that, that like, my brain just had this idea. And I, I'm not one to just like, oh, I don't know how to do it. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm just one, if I have an idea, I'm gonna figure it out and figure out how it needs to get done. So even though it was something like a total 90 degree term from what I had been doing previously, um, I just decided that this is something I wanted to see. Like I, I, all of my inventions I create, I see like the final image of the invention in my head before I even start making it. And then I like kind of work backwards in creating what that image I see in my head. So it's, I think even back then, I saw this idea of nylon wrapped cables and doing all the different designs. And I just wanted to see that physical representation of what I was seeing in my head. And how were you manifesting that though? Were you were you drawing something? Were you sketching it? Were you using software in some way? Because this is way before you started 3D printing stuff. Right. Maybe it's because I've been doing it for so long. Like making a product overseas in China, I think is like the easiest thing in the world. Like I never made official tech packs. I never, I just had the idea in my head, was able to get that idea into words and then talk to a manufacturer to then bring the idea to life. So, I mean, I mean, my first collection of winter beanies that I had, like the collection design, I drew them in Microsoft Paint. and was like, so I want a stripe here, a stripe here, and the logo will go like around here. And you're not like defining this many millimeters or this I'm just specific like, this is I, Pantone color. Right. It's like, it's, it is again, like taking that image I have in my head, roughly figuring out what it looks like, and then trying to figure out how that translates into a real world product. So um, it was kind of the same thing. Just so I, I did apply to Apple has the Apple MFI program then for iPhone. So basically when you apply and you're a part of that program, you're, you know, paying royalties to Apple, but you also get access to all of the manufacturers that are approved to make Apple approved accessories. So then it was just sort of like digging through that list of manufacturers that made iPhone cables that I was able to then 
pitch the idea. I mean, there was a few here and there that maybe did like a white wrap, all white, all black, all red or something like that. But no one had dug into doing like a herringbone print and, uh, you know, stripes and all this kind of stuff. So it was just sort of taking an idea and then kind of twisting it to fit my idea of that design. Um, and but yeah, so it was never probably not a design process, just like an idea process that like my brain is like, all right, we'll start at step one, work on six, circle back to step three, and uh, we'll get to step 10 eventually. How often is the final thing just like the idea you had in the beginning? I have had a few products overseas where like they completely screwed up what I wanted, but it was actually I ended up running with that idea. I was like, oh, that works. Like to me, sometimes good enough is good enough. The story is still there of what I wanted to make that even if like, again, there's like a millimeter or two off, like I'm right. like, cool. Let's it's not go. precious. Like, I just want the shortest amount of time from the idea in my head to the physical product in the real world. So I think over the years, there's been different iterations of that process. So many interesting things about you and your process, Matt. And one is you are a one person show. You choose to work literally by yourself. And we're in this huge 6,500 square foot brand new office that's you and your machines and your ideas, but no one here to help you. And I think that's really unusual. I guess it just, it's, it's worked. So why change it? I mean, the only employee I probably have had is that my mom has come up a few Christmases when I like get the mass amount of orders. So she helps me pack orders and drop them off at the U.S. Postal Service. But it's just me and my brain. And I love, uh, I love just working through. I know it's like, I know times are going to be really difficult, really annoying. But then I know times I'm going to be kind of chilling and it's like kind of the balance of of just getting the process done. So from beanies and iPhone cables to today, unnecessary inventions, what was that transitional moment when you started creating product, but more with the intent of the storytelling around the product. You've already mentioned that storytelling has always been important to yep. you, but storytelling was a service to the product. And now product is almost a service to the storytelling. Every few years, I like, I don't know if I just get bored, but I just need to reinvent what I'm doing. So it was going from the beanies to the iPhone cables. Then I also launched a travel accessory brand in 2015. And then it was like, I was sort of hitting that three to five year peak of like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to work on? And so it was just after Christmas, you know, this is like the February timeframe, all of China shuts down for uh, Chinese New Year. So sales are kind of slower because after the holidays, can't do any manufacturing. So I just bought a 3D printer. Now I was able to overnight kind of take an idea I had, hit it, print on the 3D printer. And by the next morning, it's sitting there waiting for me. So I had an idea for one of these things that I kind of thought of it as like a April Fool's joke for Eastern Collective for the tech accessory brand. So they were chopstick extensions for your AirPods. So AirPods were still kind of new and people were making fun of the, you know, stock coming out of your ear. So why not accentuate that? You take out your AirPods and if you're eating a sushi lunch, you can also have your chopsticks handy right there. I wanted to make it. So I decided to make it. Then I photographed it. And I was kind of hung over that morning. So it's like, I was just kind of tired looking deadpan ahead and kind of had, it was like a little bit of like blue steel, a little bit of like trying to pretend that like, if this was a real product in a real ad, what would it look like? And I bought sushi and I staged it and all that kind of stuff. Came up with the name, the Air 6, you know, because I went to school for marketing, I 
you know, if this was a product page, everything that it would need to be to be sold. But then I was had zero plans of actually selling it. So I just did all of that randomly, put it together, put it up on Reddit. And the next morning, front page of Reddit had like 50,000 upvotes. I was like, oh, interesting. I was like, so people did like this like random one-off. You know, it's just photos. I was not doing any sort of video. And then the second invention, people were in the comments like, oh, I have this problem. And it was someone was like, I hate tying a jacket around my waist and looking like a nerd. Like, is there any other way that I can carry a jacket? So then I created like this apparatus that goes under your shirt that's like a hook hanging out the back. So it's like a coat hook that then your jacket is maybe like six inches hanging off the back of your neck. And so then it's like I kind of volleyed that up like, oh, hey, I'm that guy from a couple days ago. Someone said they had this problem. So here's my solution. And, you know, I didn't have the name Unnecessary Inventions. I didn't have any of that. And I was posting it to my personal social media as well. And it wasn't until maybe the eighth or ninth invention or so that I was like, okay, like every single time I post it on Reddit, it's going front page. I'm going to create an Instagram page where all of these things can live and snowballed from there. You're nearing 400 inventions? Roughly, yeah, 404 years. And you mentioned that you know, the second one was prompted by feedback from someone who saw the first one. How often are the, the inventions responses to your audience versus things that just kind of go through your head? All day long, invention ideas are coming to my inbox, to my DMs and all that kind of stuff. So I would say the split is somewhere around like 30% of inventions I make are from community members, either submitting ideas, submitting problems, uh, sending me a meme that like, oh, you should like a, a illustration, like, oh, you should turn this into something. So it, it's definitely a mix. And every single Sunday on Instagram, I do a thing called Sunday Inspiration Session. So I'll pick a topic or, um, you know, if I'm traveling, I just take a selfie on the plane. I'm like, all right. What are we building on the plane? And then people will, you know, flood in their ideas to my DMs. Um, it's like two or three good ideas for every 5,000. <laughs> so uh, usually I write down the idea. I'll write down the Instagram name of the person who submitted it so that if I do bring it to life, you know, I tag them as like the concept that was submitted by this member of the community. How much of your time is spent reading DMs? Well, the, the good thing about when you do the sticker stories, the questions, they only have like a hundred characters. So they keep it real short. Hmm. So, so. <laughs> because we DM a lot and you're always really fast on it. And maybe it's because you know me, but I live on my phone. Yeah. It's an extension. It's like if I could implant it into my body, I'm, I'm good with that. It's coming. <laughs> I know that it's coming. Yeah. When are you going to invent that? Right. Exactly. Um, Neuralink did just get FDA approval. Yeah. So, <laughs> Two things I want to ask you. So you're a storyteller, you're an inventor, you're an entrepreneur. Do you ever rank them in your mind? Are you a storyteller first? Are you a marketer first? Are you a evil genius inventor first? Or does it depend on the day? It probably depends on the day a little bit. I think probably maker would be the best, taking the idea and turning it into something. I think that's, I, I get, I mean, also I get so many DMs of people like, I have this idea, I want to bring it to life, but... I don't want to tell anyone about it. Can you sign an NDA and all? It's like a lot of people give themselves false roadblocks, I think, to bringing something to life that they want to see. And I think I just like ignore all of that. And that 
you know, people always say like, oh my God, you could sell this invention. You could make millions of dollars if you, you know, you shouldn't have posted it. You should have gotten a patent first, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I just want to get it out there. Like that's. Patents take a really long time. Exactly. You can't plan ahead. It's like not funny to create something today and then wait two years till you get a patent. Exactly. I did have a meeting with the patent (laughs) office. I thought I was in trouble, but uh, they just wanted to meet me. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like they called you. Yeah. That's just USA. Like a Zoom call with like 15 people. That's amazing. Did yeah. they ask you why you're not applying for patents for all I the did. things you're inventing? It took it too long. And they're like, oh, well, we actually have an expedited process. We can get it to you within nine to 12 months. I'm like, <laughs> expedited in yeah. quotation marks. So I think what I'm hearing is a lot of the legal process of not only patenting, but turning something into a product that you can sell kind of gets in the way of creativity. Yeah. I mean, I and, and again, like when people message me, I always tell people that like no one really cares about your idea like no one has the time to care about your idea like only you are gonna bring that thing to life you want to make it because it's something personal to yourself and so i think that if you want to try and steal my idea go for it i'm gonna probably roast you online but if you really care that deeply enough in the idea that i also had the age we live in you don't have time to wait i think you just have to put it out there and see you can you could spend all this time planning and doing all this stuff and getting the patents and then you realize there was never even a market for it in the first place and that you didn't put out there because you were afraid of the idea was going to be, you know, compromised. It's funny you say that, Maddie. We've had a maxim at Coolanting for a long time, which is there are no new ideas, just great executions. When I meet people in public, one invention, it's called the burrito bumper. And it's for eating a burrito and it's a funnel and you put a taco underneath it. So everything that falls out of the burrito funnels down and then you have the taco with everything that fell out. All it is is a funnel. Literally, <laughs> it is nothing else than just a funnel that you happen to put a taco shell underneath it. Nothing new. It's just the way that the story around of why you use a funnel in this manner gets used. It's super useful, right. actually. <laughs> It's time to discover a new approach to luxury automotive, where Korean sensibility meets audacious design, groundbreaking technology powers every ride, and your experience, from first glance through ownership, is nothing less than exceptional. Learn more at Genesis.com. On occasion, you actually make products and sell them, right? You have a new board game, you have a, a book that's out as well, so there are some actual products and some of the things that you make on occasion you actually do sell, but not many. Mm-hmm. So your business really is twofold. One, you're so popular on social media, you're an influencer or a content creator, and you get you earn income from that. And then separately you work with brands. Part of the reason why I don't sell them is the nature of the products. Like the ones I make, I make them knowing that this thing is probably going to live in this person's life and be used to some sort of degree. That like the jigsaw puzzle, I made a coffee table that the whole top of it is a jigsaw puzzle and you have to figure out the jigsaw puzzle to put it, put it together before you actually have a coffee table. You can take the pieces out and all that kind of stuff. But making that, I knew it would like actually live in someone's home as a coffee table as opposed to the burrito bumper. You're going to give it to your friend as a funny birthday present they're going to laugh for five minutes and then it's going to sit on a shelf and end up in a landfill. So it's like I'm, I'm very purposeful on like the ones I do make that aren't 
just for the joke in real life outside social media that if it can actually be used, then that's why I would want to actually make it. Like the intent is it's not about the products, so to speak, right. or the products in quantity. It's about the idea and the concept and the storytelling around it. Right. And in an ironic way, you can print more, right? You have all the code, but you don't often do that. So you kind of have one of a kind artifacts of this journey of these inventions that are artworks really in and of themselves. And those have inherent value. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, again, people ask me for the files all the time and that it, it creates more exclusivity, more cachet to the individual products, knowing that it can't just be printed by anyone, that um, if you did want to somehow get your hands on it, there's probably, you know, I'm just dangling it right in front of you and you're reaching for it and I pull it away each, each time you get a little bit closer. If the file is the art, do you reuse pieces from one invention to the next or do you keep all the inventions intact? So lots of things that you've made, you have a printed hand yep. that does something. Are you printing a new hand every time or are you sometimes taking a hand from a past invention and then using it in the next one? For the most part, everything is made specifically for that one invention. Um, the hands are actually usually just replicas of my own. So I mold my hand and then pour silicone and match my own. It makes it creepier when it's like standing next to the real thing and I'm <laughs> using it when I could have just used my hand. <laughs> You just said creepy, and that reminded me of another word of yours, which is chaos. Tell us a little bit about this idea of creating chaos. With the internet these days, you have to do something that's unexpected to be noticed. Like Everything's been done a million different ways, a million different times. And I think, especially now that I have such a catalog of inventions, in that when I create them, I want them to actually look like when you're scrolling your feed on Instagram that this is a real ad for a real product and you're like, you stop and you're like, this is the stupidest fucking thing <laughs> in the world. Who the hell would make this? So then you click through and then you're like, wait, are what are all these things? Why can you buy them? Did this guy, did this one person make them or is he just, you know, making commercials for products he's finding online? So it's creating this like, sense of confusion and you don't know why things are happening the way they are and i think that's the way that i kind of make fans is that like you start with that one invention you saw and then it's just this rabbit hole of confusion and chaos of just so wait so okay let me try to go to his website it's like wait he only has a sweater on his website why so i can't buy them and then you go back and you're like and then you're just scrolling on my feed i'm just seeing this mass catalog of inventions that I think creates the curiosity in people to then dig deeper. It's like, oh, well, okay, well, how does he make them? So then they might go to my YouTube channel and then they'll watch the longer behind the scenes videos on how I build the inventions. And so it's kind of creating this touch point of just like, you kind of never really know what's going on until you're like fully immersed in it. And become a fan. Right. Right. What's 16 plus 16? <laughs> 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's another classic. You got to do things to stand out. And for me, a lot of times it's just creating a moment in the video that makes people want to comment. And so that example you brought up was uh, I made this Tic Tac or organizer where there were 16. So it's a little tray that slides inside the Tic Tac case so that it doesn't make that Tic Tac jingle in your pocket. 
and had 16 on one side, 16 on the other. And I said, you know, that makes 36 Tic Tacs. And the video probably has, you know, 15, 20,000 comments of people correcting me, telling me it's 32, not 36. And by engaging, that increases the visibility right. in the algorithm. Correct. Yeah, you know, it's and so it's not that you don't know how to add. Or that there was a type. So, I mean, sometimes some of the mistakes. I'm like, oh yeah, I did definitely. Yeah, that was. That, I planted that one on purpose. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like creating just those little moments across content that like either connect with people or make them hate it. And for me, yeah, the, both are a win. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Given that social media is how you distribute your ideas, your content, your persona, and social media has boundaries. You must have plenty of ideas that are, you know, that are not safe for work or that are not friendly for social. What do you do with those? Oh, I've got the, I've got the OnlyFans idea folder. <laughs> uh, we were None talking about have, that. Yeah, we're like, oh, we're does like, he have an OnlyFans too? You should. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a list of inventions that wouldn't necessarily work on TikTok. That right now, I don't think brands that I work with would, uh, would be too excited if I. If I brought them to life. So maybe there's uh, some avenue down the road. Maybe I create a alternate persona yes. that people don't realize it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you still would insist on being the one person. Right. <laughs> creating the content, doing all the yep. all the stuff. Yep. But yeah, there's definitely... Uh, they're, they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the creative tangents that inspire you? It's not just that you're glued to social media, you're about, you're traveling all over, you're on TV shows, you're winning awards. Um, what are the things, though, that, that feed into your brain that excite you? Like, I feel like I'm just a very observant person and that just like, it's just the world that's happening around me. When I'm like sitting at a restaurant, listening to like everyone's conversation of what people are doing, I'm taking the human experience and like boiling it down to these just like little moments that I get inspiration from just walking down the street and seeing someone do something that like I have never done that thing that person just did in that particular manner, but there must be other people who do it that way. And now there's an invention idea that then is connected to those people that, you know, would, if I put it out there, would be shared across it. Um, it's kind of like observational comedy, right? Right. Uh, you, you know, could just, be a comedian. Just, I mean, just, you are in your own <laughs> way, but I mean, you could be a stand up comic based on those same observations probably right it's it literally can be anything that that gets me inspired are you do you listen to music do you watch a certain kind of content you know are there old movies new movies sci-fi movies horror movies are there things that are like passions of yours that maybe contribute some ideas i i mean i think a lot i mean i spend all day in the studio i mean you know i spend it by myself but all day long have AirPods and listening to a podcast. So again, it's like listening to people's experiences. You know, they might not be, they might just be two drag queens talking about what they did that week, but it's like learning what their experience for that week was. So I think that's, again, kind of still same in that same world of just listening to how people move across the world in their own way. Clearly you're an Apple fanboy, (laughs) as are we. And you have made lots of things for Apple products, whether it's the AirPod chopsticks you described from early on or the accessories that were real at Eastern Collective or the solution to charging the Magic Mouse when 
you know, and being able to use it at the same time. There, there's, there's lots. And looking at your wall of, of images of your inventions, there's a, you see a lot of Apple product. As of today, Apple's developer conference is next week. Yep. And we never know what new things they're going to present, but all the rumors are suggesting that we might finally be seeing a headset. Maybe it's a car, Josh. We don't know. I mean, maybe it's a car, but maybe, uh, maybe. who knows? But let's, let's just guess that it is a headset. I imagine you've thought about this already. Do you have ideas for what you would invent if Apple had a headset? Do you want, do you want like an exact idea that I have that I want? If you have I would, one, yeah, you want to you share, have one you want to share. Yeah. I would love so to So I want to make, so you know, those, uh, like laundry hampers that can like squish down flat and you let it go and it like bounces mm-hmm. straight up. So basically I want to make that because everyone looks absolutely ridiculous when they're actually using VR. So basically it'd be like a giant hula hoop type belt that you release it and now you're all, you're in your own little, like cocoon pod doing VR and you don't have to look like people seeing you playing Beat Saber. Uh-huh. And then when you're done, you sort of just collapse it down and now you're back in the real world. <laughs> like the Oompa Loompa suit. Right. <laughs> yeah. You've had a lot of success in lots of different ways. Do you feel like there's been a kind of pivotal moment for you of when you're like, you took a moment to really appreciate what you've created? I've had had moments across that like, just starting this as a random side project, getting a cease and desist from Crocs for making Croc gloves to getting my first brand deal. So it's been like kind of all these little things that, you know, happened back to back to back to back to then allow me to do this full time. Um, I think it's those moments when I run into a fan on the street, which is pretty much every day at this point, um, of just them appreciating what I do that they have that one invention that like is their number one go-to favorite that for some reason connected with them in a particular way. So I think it's those moments. I mean, it's fun to go on the Kelly Clarkson show and play with inventions. Um, it's about, val- I mean, that, that was very validating to like go from the social media world to getting mainstream media love and attention. But I'm like, if I just stayed home, I might, Probably if I made a new invention video, I would have gotten more views than going on a TV show, you know? So it's, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag there. But it does expand your right. audience, right? right? Potentially. It's maybe a smaller audience, but it's probably a different audience right. than exactly. you already have. Yep. So, so you're expanding and, your And reach. that's, to me, my probably, not end goal, but it's just like the most amount of eyeballs absolutely possible getting on the content. Like, no matter what kind of is like my mantra that you know i i post it every single i've got thirty thousand followers on linkedin you know it's like i try to hit every corner of the internet to find that person where that one invention that like i'll definitely have ideas that like i'm like oh this is the greatest thing this is gonna go viral this is gonna change everything i post it and i realize like oh this is only my experience like nobody else online feels this and it's a flop you know so it's it's finding those people that even if majority of people didn't connect with it, it's like hitting that corner of the internet where that one person found it like, oh, that that, that speaks to me. Like that's, I've always done that. Um, so I think that's sort of the, the best part is just sort of actually meeting those people. Cause you know, so much of my success came through COVID. So it was like, again, 
my life didn't change that much because I still just sat in my design studio by myself every day. Um, so when things started opening back up and going out into the world again, that's when like it really kind of clicks that I'm like, well, people are watching my videos. Because when you see those numbers, I do about 150 to 200 million views a month. And that like number is completely imaginary. The video just gets thrown into your face, right. you know, when you're scrolling TikTok. So it's it's when you realize there's are actual people behind the numbers. But is that part of what drives you? Is it the numbers? Is that part of how you find, I don't want to say meaning, but that how you find like the work is worth the effort? Joy uh, or validation or dopamine? It's bad that you know? it's like yes and no. It's like, it's bad that, I mean, I'm sure a lot of content creators feel this, that like I put out an invention that like I'm super connected to and it just like doesn't do the numbers I want it to. And the whole rest of the day, I'm like, well, I'm the worst person in the world. I probably should just stop making inventions. And then two days later, I come out with a new one that like 50 million views. And I'm like, there has never been a content creator better than me. It's <laughs> difficult when it's when it, you can have kind of those ups and downs. I'm at a point now, and I think social media is changing a little bit, that now I'm just more focused on creating things that people are already fans of me will love. And I'm not necessarily... I think I was... Definitely for a while, I was chasing every invention needs to be super viral, get press, get... Now it's more about just creating things that more that maybe I want to create that aren't going to be those mega smash hits. But I know that the people who are the real fans are still just going to love the process of seeing me do what I do, yeah. regardless um, of what the end product is. And Let's dig into this a little bit. You know, One of the things that Josh and I spend a lot of time on is, is thinking about the future and, and part of our business is is working with clients and thinking about the future, um, what that might look for them. And social media is a constantly changing landscape. You're active on multiple platforms, um, some of which weren't around very recently, um, some of which may not be around soon or not popular. Um, how are you thinking about or, or assessing all these other platforms as they come up and where are the ones that maybe get your attention or you're, you're watching and you're feeling like, Maybe I need to start creating on that platform as well. Yeah, I uh, I definitely lucked out that I like got super early in on the TikTok wave. Um, that was when like huge transition for me. The probably the first hundred and thirty inventions were strictly photos, so they didn't necessarily work all that much. It was more just getting the visual and then describing it in the description. Um, so that was a huge shift for me of changing from photo to video nowadays it's it, it it seems super difficult to know if a new network is i feel like you hear one you know every month or two like be real is going to be the, the next big thing and it's like i go on be real and there's i have maybe like six or seven people that are still posting on it um for me i think social media is moving more towards personal connection with people. I think everyone is a content creator these days. And I think it's going to be a mix of authenticity and finding those people that connect with what you do the most. That's a really good point about personal connection. And, and a big piece of what you do is create things for people to share with each other. So it's not just about people connecting with you, but it's when I see something that you've made that I really think Evan would enjoy and then I share it with him. He shared you the OnlyFans folder yet? Yeah, no. Please, yeah, <laughs> after, look, let's we after We're this recording. That. Yeah. This is Amy Devers, host of Clever. 
my podcast brings you conversations you're not going to hear anywhere else with the visionaries and creative forces who shape our world and culture. It's a compelling mix of raw candor and honest shop talk that reveals the humanity behind the design of the world around us. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Head over to surroundpodcast.com or follow Clever wherever you get your podcasts. Why don't we talk a little bit about your new board game that's out, right. which yeah. I haven't seen yet here. I've got a box studio. over there. So yeah, so yeah. That, was a, that was a licensing deal I did. So basically a company approached me, guys that were fans that had done board games for other companies and stuff like that. So we probably spent uh, about a year and a half working on the concept. It, at one point, it was a much more complicated and had an actual board game. Now it's more basically how it works is there's a deck of cards of first world problems that my inventions might solve. So it's like a bird shitting on your car, you know, invent something to stop it. And so each player gets, so it's a mix of like shark tank meets Pictionary. Yeah. So basically you have to sketch out an invention idea, come up with the name, come up with the description, kind of just like one of my Instagram. And then you're pitching it to the co-players. Right. Yep. So then that's where like the shark tank comes in. You have to, uh, to pitch it to everyone else. Everyone votes on who had the best solution. And you move on. Um, so that that actually like has been nice of having the other people just kind of working on it. That it's not like something I have to think about all the time. That they're going to trade shows and pitching it to stores and stuff like that. And I can just make content about it online. And I am working kind of hopefully on a new book of like... I did one that basically took my Instagram and just kind of like turned it into a print form. Just again, like having something that people like are true fans of that like just would want to have something from me um but i kind of want to go back and like maybe find the 50 hits out of the 400 i have and reshoot them on like white editorial and like you know kind of maybe tell a little more backstory on each one and how they came to life and stuff like that you do now have quite an archive of things that you've created and maybe the combination of having this archive and having a lot of space provides an opportunity to have, you know, museum maybe isn't the right word, but um, a gallery of things that you've created and people could come and visit that when they come up to Burlington. Yeah. So, so right now we're in like 3,100 square feet in the studio side. And then we have a whole nother 3,300 on the other side. So my, I mean, I've wanted to do the idea of a museum for a long time of taking that one individual, you know, the one invention that I made for the video and having that, having the video aspect to it, um, teaching people about 3D printing, um, but also designing that space in a manner that it could live here for, you know, the first three to four months. And then it, it moves on to another city in a new space that I think is like maybe a next iteration of myself of like taking all of this I've done online and bringing it more into the real world and for people to experience it. Uh, I just went to the Museum of Failure in Brooklyn and I was like, oh, I was like, I could see an iteration of what I do in something like this. And on a daily basis for you, right? Not right. everything works. Right. And kind of also going back to then like the Apple accessories, it's like doing, you know, the hits exhibit. Then maybe the next one is like, 
I designed 50 different ridiculous iPhone cases. And like the next exhibit over there is all about iPhone cases and like kind of evolving that I think would be really fun. Also, I tried to get um, into the museum down the street, the art gallery down the street. And they said, you're not a thing. Maybe try the farmer's market. So now I like, I have a, I have a good, uh, Oh, I got a good video pitch. I'm like, this, this gallery didn't want to have me. So I'm building my own. Uh-huh. <laughs> Has your college invited you back to speak to the marketing class? Um, I did judge. They do a, uh, your like senior thesis for, um, the business program is you basically have to make mock business, make a business plan and I'll do all that kind of stuff and then pitch it at the end of the year. And the winner gets five grand. Um, uh, I won it as a senior. <laughs> and so I have gone back to, uh, to judge that yeah. competition before. I think it'd actually be really interesting because on the one hand, I think a lot of professors would be horrified by the way you, <laughs> you know, think about and operate and plan for your, your business. On the other hand, you represent, you know, what I think is missing for so many. It's like, we're too programmed. We're too following a formula. We're, you know, so indoctrinated to do things the certain way in this timeline. And you're kind of like, no. Right. I have my own timeline. I have my own point of view on these things. And you've clearly made that work and it's really successful. It doesn't mean it works for everyone or huge companies, but I think there actually is something for people to learn who are learning about business and learning about marketing, um, learning about social media to be a little bit more flexible mm. and to go with their gut a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think my like personal tagline is nothing is necessary. It's like, just go pay your taxes, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But I just kind of do whatever. Like I don't follow any path that I think is like required and just do it. I think a lot of people just are afraid to start whenever people ask like, how should I start? Like if being a content creator or something, it's like put your first video out. It's going to suck, but nothing's going to, I didn't plan for any of this to happen. I just, it was just that I was already sharing my ideas and it evolved into what it is today. We talked earlier about the need to kind of be really fast. You're creating something, you're putting it out there. Um, But also there are some rights, there are some IP that maybe should go along with some of the things you're creating. And we've also heard you talk about NFTs and those kinds of opportunities and how there might be some way that thinking about the NFT space or the Web3 space could intersect with some of the things that you're doing and working on. Yeah, I I dug into it a little bit um, over COVID when NFTs really, you know, were in their super hype phase. Um, I mean, I definitely think there could be some implementation in that, like the digital file is like that one holy grail of the invention that if you had that digital file, you basically now have the invention. And so it's like, I actually was even wondering, like, is there something to like the patent process there that like, can the patent process be revolutionized through, you know, Web3? Is that like, why does it take so long? Why can't, why couldn't an invention be quote unquote patented? It's like, or whatever through, you know, an NFT that then could be transferred to someone else that, you know, if you're done with the design, but, you know, this product maybe still has life, someone else could take it over. And Did you mention that on your interesting conference call with the U.S. Patent Office? I didn't bring that. No, I don't think I'd be too <laughs> excited about that. But I, I mean, I really think that is a, one of the better examples or use cases for NFTs and, and for Web3. 
And yes, there has been a lot of hype and there is still a lot of art and there are generative collections and people still like their profile pictures and all of that stuff. And what you're describing is a very thoughtful use of blockchain technology to make something digitally permanent and any use of it has some, you know, some level of accountability. And whether or not you're doing anything with that NFT, it kind of makes sense that, you know, you, you, you could be minting every single invention, or right. file from every single invention and, you know, obviously storing it in a, in a cold wallet and being very careful That's about cool. it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yep. It, it makes a lot of sense and it, and, and you have plenty going on, but you also have the opportunity to push a concept like that forward, given the scale of, of, you know, who you reach mm -hmm. these days. And I love that. I am also curious though about, cause I think there was a point where you had an idea for, or a plan, or maybe you already, you, you built it and never released it. A 10,000 piece PFP yep. project. Yep. So it's actually based around the Gator Grip. That's that was part of the designs. Is that you know I, I'm like best known for getting a cease and desist from Crocs. So I I did design like the full, you know, ten thousand piece profile pick esque project. But for me, I never released it because I never could figure out what the story of why I was releasing it. Hmm. And I think I didn't want to just put it out there to hop on the hype train, and then like I didn't know where it would go from there. So like. The story of why I was doing it and why it meant something for me never came into focus. So I was like, I'm not going to mm -hmm. put it out. Mm -hmm. So there were 10,000 hands. Yep. Basically doing all different hand poses. There's, you know, the gibbets in the, in the hands and all that kind of stuff. But it lives somewhere on my, one of my hard drives. <laughs> How do you archive everything? Or do you not really, are you super organized with all of these things and and are you thinking about the future how you'll access them um i'm probably not as organized as i should be i mean i just have i have like probably three copies on different hard drives of everything um just so that if anything happens to one of them i still have it it's actually really interesting because we you know we have friends who are archivists and we talk about these kinds of things all the time and, and one of the things that's so great having all this space here is you have not just the current 3D printing machines that you're using, but previous ones as well. And you're talking about maybe those are something that could be included in this, you know, exhibition space. But at some point, you know, maybe you want to go back and 10 years from now, even let alone 30 years from now, and you want to remake something. Well, if you don't, you know, your software is dated, mm -hmm. the printing technology is dated, and maybe there's some kind of bridge to some future software and printer that could access that. But you know, you think about NASA operating, you know, equipment that's decades old, using decades old computers mm -hmm. and programming languages because they don't have the opportunity to to change them. There is something really interesting about this, um, these creations being tied to a certain time and place in terms of code, software, you know, 3D printing. I think for me, it's a little bit also that it's maybe just the idea like i have gone back and reprinted some of the, like the first early ones of wanting to 
remake a video for an invention that only had photos back in the day. And I like look for the file and I'm like, why did I design it this way? I'm like, I'm just going to redesign it super quick. And like, because I already did it and I already knew what it looked like in the real world, I like remade it in a half hour. Newer, better, just, faster. And, yeah. Right. And then just remade it and that it's still about the idea. And even though it's not that first file I hit print on, that it's still the same story that's still the same you know image in my head that i had for that invention it's all about the story josh it's all about the story it's also uh just a little tangent i want to get you a madonna mic i think you move around so much evan that you just need a mic you need a mic that goes with you so you need me to invent a motion tracking one that slides back and forth just like the camera does (laughs) yes yes Um, yes it's a great idea maddie you started unnecessary inventions Four years ago, four plus years ago, and you just won Best Creator Award at the Webbies. Your five-word acceptance speech was clever, given the constraint that the Webbies have. Can you do that for us? Only five words. That's unnecessary. With a very big smile. (laughs) For the handful who might be learning about who you are and what you do for the first time listening to this episode, where can they follow you? Where can they find your stuff? Yeah, you can pretty much find me anywhere on the internet. Uh, unnecessary inventions on every platform. I always say that like Instagram is like the center spoke of everything because that's where I started. So that's like core portfolio of every invention that, you know, each post is only just that new invention. If you want a little more kind of casual behind the scenes, hit up TikTok and you might get some more casual stuff around the studio. And if you want to watch a 20 minute long video on how I made a hand to jerk off corn. You can go to YouTube and watch that. Um, is the corn, the jerk off stuff also going to be on the only fans. That's a, you know, that's the one that bridges the gap, the cob quickie. Thank you for listening to this episode of design tangents with cool hunting. Make sure you hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. Design tangents is proud to be part of the surround podcast network. You can check out lots of other amazing design and architecture-related podcasts at surroundpodcasts.com. That's podcasts with an S. This show was produced and edited by the studio at Sandow. Big thank you to Samantha Saker, Rob Schulte, Hannah Vitti, and Wise Grisette. Our theme music is by the amazing Matthew Deere. Catch us very soon for the next episode of Design Tangents.